Hey everybody, welcome to the Faith Church Podcast. I am your host, Jay Williams, and joining me today is Jeffrey Clossy. Hey Jay, you used my full name there, Jeffrey. Well, not your full name, because I didn't use your middle name. No. Do you want to reveal that? To Michael. Michael. Oh, that's like yeah. a normal... Yeah, my dad's name. Jeffrey Michael Clossy. It is interesting that you have two like normal names, and then your last name is difficult. For it me. is. Yeah, it is. And there's nothing I can do about it. How long did it take you to learn to spell your last name? <laughs> we learned really young, but we were also taught very young. When you're in class and you hear someone say your first name, followed by something that starts with a C sound, that's you. Raise your hand and say you're there. That's the beginning of the year. That's funny. <laughs> you know, a kid would not know to do that. Yeah, I didn't. they didn't call my name. I, I think of like people that have, there are other names. I mean, I know in my, where I grew up, um, Polish last names were often you just... No chance. You got no chance, man. Yeah, the consonants. Too many consonants Too in a row. I consonants. had a Bosnian friend in Milwaukee, and that his was like that. But once I heard it, I could do it. But I would never have been able to come up with it. And yeah. I basically have a name like that. If you look at my last name, you will never say it properly. Yep. Whatever. Which is happening. So I don't know if people know this. This is very important information about me, that I, at one point, wanted to be a sports broadcaster. And the thing that always terrified me was the the thought of having to call hockey or soccer because of all of the non-American names, the international names that are there. And I just, it terrified me, the idea of like having to practice all of those. I used to go down when I would call games, like in college, I, um, I would go down the roster and I would see, is there any name that's going to trip me up? And I would go and find someone from the other side, um, and, and ask them, how do you how do you pronounce this? Because I hate the idea of mispronouncing someone's name. But holy cow. So watching the World Cup right now, it's it brings me anxiety for the the play by play person because they I mean, they've just gotta they've gotta know. They gotta know how to do it. They do, and they've done a good job, I have to say. Even even the word Qatar, okay? I saw a video Oh really? Yeah, about how to say I've been it. I corrected each each way I've said it. So the the I think it was their Ministry of Tourism or something. They had a guy looking in a you know Western baseball hat, but he described how to say it. And there were there are three letters in Qatar that have no corresponding sound in English. So when you hear him say it, it's amazing. The 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 R is rolled. And the the k sound comes from a different part of your throat than what we use. Okay. But he said basically, for English speakers, Qatar is fine. Cutter is not how you say it. And uh, he had a couple other really funny examples. But yeah, it's it's challenging because I know I, I agree. I don't like to say people's names. It's so personal incorrectly. Right. Um, just so you know, if you're listening to this and you have said my last name incorrectly. It is he's really not upset. a problem. He's enraged. Yeah. yeah, I am. Every Sunday he comes in here and he's like, three people. No, not so at all. Throwing things against the wall. Totally used to it. Now that Robbie's gone, you're the <laughs> you're the tyrant in the office. Yeah, breaking things because of my last name. <laughs> I, okay, well, it's so funny to me that, that that would be, that anybody would think that has got to be the, you're the least likely person to... Um, become angry about that. So it is very comical to me, the idea of you just being so offended and getting <laughs> enraged. So Qatar, by the way, you should have that conversation in your household because I don't want to, I don't want to name. Oh, any we names. had it. We did had you it on Sunday. We did. After? Yes, we did. We did. And I played the video. So everyone in my house now knows. Wow. I would be yeah. really fascinated by how a particular person in your family responded to that because I may have gotten scolded at uh, let's just say lunch. There was a reason I played the video because I got (laughs) no, not because. Did you see me get scolded? No, I did not. I had no recollection of that. Area lunch was awesome, by the way. I I just wanted to. You mentioned that. Look at you turn it positive. Yeah, it was. No, I just my kids, especially. You know, kids' perspective is different than adults Mm -hmm. on most things, but especially area lunch. And their big feedback was. Wow, Dad, there was a lot of really good food there this time, like really good. There was really good food. I had several people 
comment on the quality of food. I yeah. feel like Marinette Menominee stepping up their game. I, I agreed with them. It was just funny. I, I was thinking all the conversations were so good. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. They just care about – yeah, they care about the food. I uh-huh. just – you know, the food, you never know. But um, I yeah. would I would say that the, the Coleman Pound area, they – that crew knows potlucks. Yeah, yeah. And I it's agree. not that the other ones have been bad at all. They've been good. But, but Marinette Menominee was like – it was like the gauntlet had – like the challenge had been thrown out there. And they're like, oh, well, we'll bring our A game. And their A game was delicious. It was good. You know that you're at a good potluck when you are having to use self-control. Yes. <laughs> Say, I can't take all the desserts. Yes. And I don't need all the meatballs. My wife made my plate for me, and I just I put blinders on. I heard that that happened. Mm-hmm. I usually don't eat at them because – not because the food doesn't look good, but I'm just – the adrenaline and everything is I high. Agree. And I just um, – and so I, I just am not in a place where I want to eat. Then by the time it, it's all, it never fails. When it's over, I come down off the adrenaline crash, and then I'm hung. I get really hungry, but everything's been put away. Yep. And then you're the guy that's like, oh, as people are walking out the door, I, I've thought about just like grabbing a spoon and just as people walk out the door, just like dipping one little thing out as they as they leave. But um, it's so sad. So 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 this time Lauren actually made a plate for me and set it to the side that was really nice it was very nice of her um you know she didn't make a hundred percent the right choices you know especially the dessert <laughs> side like i she picked a good dessert but i feel like you know just saying you missed out on uh peanut butter bars the week before that took a lot of self-control for me to not i feel like everybody's in stepping up their game it's so good yeah um, well so make sure if you're listening and you have not been to an area lunch uh, people are starting to bring their A game with food. So there are, and I, I want to say too, like if you haven't been to one yet, you might feel like, man, everyone else has been there. That's just not true. Like there's a lot of people coming each time right. that have not been there or haven't been there in a while because of the fall schedules they've had or whatever. So yeah, I really loved it. I, I've been really enjoying the time to really a bit more leisurely have conversations that are not standing in church. I mean, those are still good in the hallway and stuff, but area lunch is way better for that. It's great. And we, we're still trying to figure out like how to do it really well. I mean, like we've said before, it's not a program, so we don't have an agenda other than we want people to connect with others, to share a meal together, and then to share stories about what's going on in the community. Um, and then prayer and prayer requests and opportunities that people might have. One of the things that's awesome is we network with one another and hear stories of what's going on. And then that has sparked, that sparked a lot of connections. There'll be people who will have a need or they'll, they'll mention a need that's in the community. And then somebody else has the answer to that, you know, or multiple people have been talking about it. And so that's really neat. And then a time to, to pray, um, for one another. So there was, there were definitely some neat things that happened on Sunday. Yeah, I agree. Lunch. So one of the neat things was the sermon. The sermon. Well, I was just going to say <laughs> you showed tremendous restraint, Jay. I mean, when you said at the beginning of the, the, the sermon time that you had two chapters, I think there were some people who, with fear and trepidation, remained in their seats. Right. They're, some well, because they're trapped at that point. Do I, have, do I have to go to the bathroom or do I have to get coffee or something? Can I get out of here? But you did a good job of not so making it saying, a two full chapter sermon. Jeff, are you saying that people are often thinking when I'm up there, man, can I get out of here? I don't I love that that's where you went with it. No, but when you say well, two chapters Well, I think you went there. Was it? I feel like <laughs> it was not it wasn't me. You went there. I was just naming it. But um Yeah. No, yeah, was... well this is the thing about Acts, especially at this chunk. So here's what's difficult about the end of Acts is it's like it's a narrative book and so it's not written it's not a fictional piece it's not a theological piece there's not a conclusion it's just the story of what happened and so it's weighted differently I mean you have all these incredible things that are happening all through the book of Acts and now it's kind of tapering off and we kind of have similar narratives happening one after another and so we made the decision a long time ago, rather than breaking this up, just saying, well, look, it's it's essentially, you know, his defense um, before Felix um, and Festus are essentially the, the same, you know, or there's a lot of similarities here. And so there's no need. We did separate it from Agrippa, who's next week. Um, and so 
that'll be a little different take on it. But yeah, it's this is not this is not a part of the Bible that you go through word by word dissecting everything um, because it's telling a story, and you're trying to pull out the main themes of the story. And it's interesting. I don't know. I would encourage people to read the end of it, like read it in a chunk, because it's interesting the feeling you get when you do that. Mm-hmm. To to feel how it ends, for example. Um, but yeah, one of the one of the main themes that you focused on this week, related to Paul's life and then related to our life, was the idea of being on a road, like the road that your life is on right now. What do you do with it when you find there's something about that road that I'm on I really don't like and I wish it was different. Yeah, but, I really found that helpful. Well, I'm glad. Um, that sounded insincere for me. I, I am glad. I, glad. <laughs> I was no, I'm glad. I sounded no, insincere. No, you always sound sincere. <laughs> no, I think, so what's interesting about these passages, and I, there's only so much you can communicate in a sermon, even when you preach as long as I do. There's just so much you can, you, you have to leave things out. And one of the themes I noticed is you think about Paul's life, and, and he'll kind of recap his life next week with, with Agrippa, and I'll probably address this a little, little bit then. But he's gone from a zealous Pharisee where he persecuted the church to then becoming zealous for the way, like following Jesus and seeing Jesus as the Messiah. Then he goes on these missionary journeys. He's going all these different places. If he's in prison, it's not for long because he's broken out. And his life is just this constant, like, on the go. He does spend time, you know, like with the Ephesians. And, like, there's places where he spends longer than other places. But his life is one of um, sharing the gospel, seeing it take root, seeing the churches planted, encouraging the churches. He's also working, remember? He's making tents all this time. And now, all of a sudden, he's thrown into prison and is sitting around for two years. His life looks so much different in this stage than it did in in previous stages in his life. And that's just what struck me as I'm reading this and thinking, man, what is going on inside his head at this point? He's got to be thinking at times, I could be doing so much more good if I'm out there. So that so that's one theme that um, I didn't get to address. So I thought there were some that we could talk about. And, and one of them that I didn't even mention to you earlier, but um, is like, what do you do when you're on a road where you're thinking you feel like you're just waiting you feel like you feel like you've had more um, more influence in other stages of your life maybe or of your ministry um, and so this feels very either very slow or like you're moving through quicksand or that you feel like there's somewhere else you could be and there's so much more you could be doing and because I got to believe that that's what Paul is thinking. And I don't know if you've ever been in that situation before. Um, like, what do you do when you're on on that kind of road where you're thinking, I, I'm not really able to do much in the kingdom right now? Yeah, that it, so correct me, Jay, I want to make sure I'm understanding you. But it, to me, it sounds like like for me, the way I would say that internally is like, put me in coach. I'm, I'm ready to go. I'm on the yeah. sideline here. I have things I could do. That is not an easy season at all. I think it's really a challenging season to be in where you find like, I, I'm waiting. And I I think, so I just use the word season. And, uh, that to me for, for this conversation is a really helpful word because seasons, especially around here, um, are different. Each season of the year is going to be different. So if you're really not liking the cold this morning, if you wait six months, it won't be the same as it is now. And I'm just trying to think quickly here when I have been in that place where I feel like I'm ready to do something, but there's not opportunity for it. I'm waiting. It has has helped me a lot to think I am in a season. I'm a bit dormant right now. And God does stuff in those dormant seasons in trees and in the world. And, but it's not really seen. Right. So for me, at least I have to be okay the, the hard part is I have to be okay, not necessarily knowing exactly what God is doing in me. And that requires a lot of trust. I'm, I'm curious what, what's coming to your mind as I'm even saying some of that, like for you, what does that look well, like? Well, I think that, I, I, I think 
um, I remember a friend of mine when I was in a season like that, he told me um, he was quoting some missionary. I don't know who it was, but uh, he said, he said, man, your post. And I just thought like this idea that especially for my personality and there are people who are listening who probably have a similar personality to me and other people who don't at all. But um, but if your personality is typically wanting to see big things happen and do big things and you feel you, you tend to not value the right now and value the small things in the moment and that when I have those days where I'm thinking, ah, oh, I should be, we should be doing something more that I think, I think of that phrase of just man your post. You've been assigned a place, whether that is, whether you're in a season of, um, you know, like where you've taken a, a break from like your, maybe your stay at home mom or you're in a job that you feel like is not where you want to be long-term, or maybe you're living in a place where you feel like is not long-term or you feel like you're just in transition mode or in crisis mode or in survival mode or any of those modes where you'd say, this is not what I want the rest of my life or the long haul to look like. Um, the reality that God has placed you there and that your role is to be faithful in the moment. Like our role is not, our calling is not to do big things for God. Our, our calling is to be faithful in the small things and then let God do with that what he's going to do and so um like even in the mundane for me it's been helpful to think about that of man the most faithful thing i can do right now is unload this this dishwasher dishwasher like the, the most faithful thing i can do right now is is you know coach my kids basketball team and try to you know love those kids and uh, whatever the situation is, sometimes the most faithful thing I can do is fill out our credit card statement, you know, and put put things in the right account. Like it's just, it's all these little things that if you are wired to feel like no, I got, but I got to do something bigger, that that's the temptation then that gets laid on us, and to forget that no, God has you where He has you. So man your post, do your job today faithfully, whatever that job is. Yeah, that word faithfully is really important because it implies relationship. So I think sometimes those more dormant seasons or the or the slower season can be really good opportunities. They have been for me at least to focus in on what the point of my life is. So for me, you know, knowing that Jesus said eternal life is this that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And that that knowing Jesus and knowing the Father, experiencing the Spirit, that's what life is about. And as I do that, I get to do other things too. But I think those moments, like I love the example, Jay, of loading the dishwasher, you know, doing that, yeah, there's a task that has to be accomplished, but ultimately the context for that task is the triune God who we're with. And sometimes those are the best moments to really experience that because it's not, doesn't take a lot of brain space to do that. So for me, I think that that has, after you said that, it triggered that thought the moments of feeling that way have been moments where God has solidified for me more what my life is about. Yeah, because our lives our lives ultimately are about being faithful in every step. It's whatever comes in front of us and we tend to we tend to think that Christianity is about these big things that I'm doing out there or what I'm involved in, like whether it's a Bible study or going to church or you know any of these things, but but Jesus draws much more attention to what flows out of our heart in the in the short term. We've talked about that before of when you don't have a chance to really process your response, but what actually comes out of you right in that moment. But it also comes out in our belief that, you know, when there's like the talk of divine appointments, you know, where you run into, we've all had these where you, you, end up at a place that you weren't planning on being and then you have this incredible interaction with somebody and you think wow that was like god's design that i ran into that person you know because the odds are so just insurmountable the idea that you could have orchestrated that you can't so god puts you in that position and and the reality is is that every appointment is that like even when you don't see it it's really obvious when you run to the grocery store and at the last second you decide, I'm going to go to the grocery store. And then you happen to just run into the per a person that needs 
you to minister to them and and you know they whatever the situation is and you leave going holy cow obviously that was a divine appointment but the reality is even the thing that feels uneventful you know going to the grocery store and being in the ca- you know in the checkout line and interacting with that cashier as you walk away that was a divine appointment we just don't most of the time those pass us by and we don't even think about it and so i know that one thing that has helped me with my when in being a person who thinks very big picture and often like needs help focusing in the moment i one thing that has helped me is to remind myself that every every interaction i have is a divine appointment and it doesn't mean it's going to bear some kind of fruit that i'm going to notice but like you said seeing like believing that god is working even when i can't see it and so i want to make sure that my interaction with each person that i that i run into is is fitting for that kind of divine appointment does that make sense it like does a, i love know. that because i also think that makes every interaction significant yeah even when it just feels like that was just a friendly interaction with someone i don't know yeah it's still it's still important and that's still something that god is at work doing around us. Yeah, that's good, Jay. And again, it's like, what is our environment? Our environment is always God. He, he is where right. we always are and he is always with us and he is always working. And that we need that reminder. We, we need it all the time when life is going well, but I think especially in the dormant season where you might feel like, I wish I could do this thing instead of what I'm doing. I'm yeah. not using my gifts right now. Yeah. Well, God knows exactly what he is doing with each one of us. And he knows right. what is good for all, for us. And, and he doesn't tire of doing that. Right. And he's preparing you for whatever that is. But ultimately, he's preparing us to enjoy him for all eternity. So even if that big thing that you think is supposed to happen never does happen, he's still preparing you for something great. You know, and so I, I did when I was preparing this message, there were roads. There were things that I was thinking about. And one of them was that of just like, well, what if you're, I, I focused mostly on hard roads. I didn't really get a chance to talk about like, what about the the apathetic road? Like there's the, the meh road. So that's, that's what that was. So hopefully that's helpful if anybody listened to the sermon and you're like, man, I really wasn't on a hard road, but I could have used some help with dealing with when, what happens when I'm on a boring road. Like it's like the equivalent of driving across I-80 you know, across Nebraska, like that's my life right now. It doesn't feel very hard. Like just I'm pointed West and there's no Hills even I can put the cruise control on. Um, and so I would encourage people like if you're on that kind of road right now where you feel like, well, I just have cruise control. It doesn't seem like there's like, I barely even need to be behind the wheel right now. I would just say God is doing amazing things behind the scenes that you don't realize. And to, to be faithful in in if you're driving I eighty, be faithful in driving I eighty. Is that really a reference that people hear yet? No. What are the, what's I'm I don't know for the life of me I am I'm trying to think of what the sign is that you see over and over again as you drive across. What is it that you drive towards when you're going west? The mountains. No, there's like a when you drive <laughs> through like the like Dakotas, you're seeing this sign for um a place. Oh, Waldrop. Yeah, Waldrop. Yeah, <laughs> that's what it made me think of. Like yeah. Uh, you're just waiting for that next. Uh, there is one in my neighborhood, by the way, and then it says how far they are from there, which is kind of funny. Oh, a sign that how many? Wall drug, yeah, but that's what it made me think of. Yeah. Like, and sometimes that is the way life can feel. Yeah. Like the only thing that you're seeing is this boring yeah. sign, and oh yeah, you're. I mean, you're well, and you're seeing you because you're anticipating this big destination, and you think that all the time between now and then is wasted, and that would be the big step. It's, you just got to get it's, there. It's yeah, but it's not wasted. No, like the every moment. It's not like God has put you off to the side and said, okay, I have big things for you, but I have to attend to other ma- matters right now. I'll get back to you. So I just kind of left you here spinning your wheels, you know, or treading water. Just tread water. I'll be back. That's not what he does. Like every minute is divine intervention with him, with whatever situation you're facing. Every minute, every every reaction, everything is an opportunity for our faith to be tested our faith to be strengthened, um, us for us to feel the nearness of God and to experience that, and to be used by Him to um, 
to glorify him and to, to love others. And so I do think I, 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 so anyway, point is that was a big part of the message that I didn't really get to go into that hopefully is helpful for people. The idea of like what happens when you're kind of on the, on that boring road. Um, also there was, there were parts of the hard road. I mentioned different types of hard road. So we have a lot of people in our church right now who would say I am on a very difficult road right now. And they definitely fall into, I mean, multiple categories. No two situations are identical at all, but there are kind of these three main categories of difficult roads that people are on. And I just wondered what your thoughts were on them, but I, and I touched on them a little bit, but some people are on a difficult road where it is, um, it is basically their own doing. So sometimes we look at our life and we're like, I'm on a really hard road. And the reason I'm on this hard road is because of my rebellion and, and my sin. So, um, I chose, I made choices that now I regret. I made choices I, I thought were good, but they, they ended up being destructive. Um, and then you have people who are on a hard road because of choices that other people have made that primarily, even though we know all of us, none of us are perfect. We all contribute, um, in, in sin, but, but some people are on a very hard road because someone else made, um, rebellious, sinful choices that were the primary cause of them being on that road. And then the final category is are people who are on a hard road that you, nobody is to blame. I mean, no, no human. So I think in terms of like, uh, you know, a a health diagnosis that is nobody's fault, um, you know, or a natural disaster or some kind of tragedy, um, in that, or, um, even like really big picture things where you wouldn't blame specific people, like getting laid off from a job because the economy is struggling or, you know, anything like that where you're on this road and you're like, well, I didn't, I'm not on this because I made, there's a a clear decision I made that put me on this road. It's not somebody else's fault. It's just the way life is. So I'm curious, I'm curious even from you as you're listening to that, what are the, what are the unique challenges of being on um, those different roads? Because I often think of suffering. We talk about suffering and God's design in suffering, which, which is for all suffering. Like it's, it's not like he only works through particular kinds of sufferings. Like the, if you're on a difficult road, he is working in all three of those roads. But they do present some unique, um, unique challenges and and unique. Like so, so for example, I just summarized all three of those. Let's take the one where you are on a road that you kind of you made your own bed, and you are you're dealing with the consequences of your own clear rebellion and maybe filled with regret, maybe filled with just whatever, like varying degrees of, of acknowledging that. But let's say you're a person who acknowledges, man, I, I did this to myself. Like I kind of messed up my life. Like what's the unique challenges of that? What would you say to a person of how do you, what what do they need to do? Um, how do they need to function in a way that where they can kind of turn this over and, and, and I mean, we'll use phrases like get back on the right path, but like, what does that even mean in that situation? That's a good question. I, I, I was thinking as you were describing each one of those like roads that you could be on, I kept thinking that, man, each one of those feels really different. And I think in a lot of ways it's who are you going to blame that's what I kept thinking is the word blame. So usually when we're on a road that is like suffering induced, we kind of want to get at the source of it. And then we want to blame and grumble. And particularly difficult is when you realize that you are the primary cause mm-hmm. of your pain. I think that the self-loathing and like punishing yourself you know, beating yourself up, that is a pain that's very unique. In some ways, it's more satisfying when you can blame someone else and feel like you're in the right. But when you come to the point and you realize, man, this is me, this is my doing, that is hard. Mm-hmm. And 
I've been there. I think that all of us, if we would really think we know, like we would know and realize we've all had those moments. Some of us probably have more extreme stories of that. But I do think for me, like I'm thinking back at my life, when I find that I am the source of my own pain like that, my own sin, one of the temptations that I feel like I face is to feel like it's over. I ruined it, Mm. you know, and there's just no hope. Like I think there's, for me, there's more hopelessness when I'm the cause. When someone else is the cause, I feel like sometimes the the lie is that if I can just get rid of that person or deal with that person, right? Stay away from them, things will be okay. But so I think the the beautiful thing about that though, when you're in that moment of of realizing, wow, if I'm going to get out of this, it's going to have to be God who gets me out of this, because I'm going to make this mistake over and over and over again. Or I've made a mistake that I really can't fix. It's it's already broken. Mm. You know, a relationship that's not going to be repaired this side of eternity, that happens. Right. Um, so I don't know. I'm describing, Jay, I guess a bit of like what it feels like to be in it and what my temptation is. I think the solution, I mean, we would you, you probably can guess what I'm going to say, but it's the gospel. We need the gospel. And we need to be able to remind ourselves of that. And I think especially the part about uh, our own brokenness and that his the solution is his forgiveness for us. I mean, we need to be able to forgive ourselves too. But I think that comes out of trusting that he has really forgiven us and dealt with it on the cross. So let me ask you this because you, you mentioned that phrase. And that's a phrase that's always made me cringe, that we need to be able to forgive ourselves. I think because I know what you mean by that. I think the way that... I don't know, maybe, and you might push back against this, but I feel like the way that I've tried to phrase that is that I need to be able to receive the forgiveness that's offered me because I can't, I don't really have the power to forgive myself in that sense, like, or at least the forgiveness that I need. I do think it's tough because we are called to forgive others. So we can't say we don't have the power to forgive. God gives us that and tells us to forgive so I always struggle. I think I think forgiving yourself, I think as long as we keep it separate from justification, you know, and, and making sure that that like the answer isn't to just tell myself, oh, it's no big deal, and to see myself as the primary um means of forgiveness, but to actually receive the forgiveness that is offered to me in Jesus, you know? Yeah. I mean I think that's basically what I mean is yeah. is it's actually sinful to hold a sin over yourself that has been forgiven. Mm-hmm. So you're you're not living in what is actually real. You're saying this sin still is there. So and for me, what that has meant in my life, I think especially in my late teen years, like college, would mean that I would just beat myself up. And right. so when you do that, yeah, it's true. You're not receiving the forgiveness you have in Jesus. You're not trusting in that. And you're still, it's like you're not releasing you're not releasing it as if there's more that needs to be done still. There's more that needs to be atoned for in addition to what Jesus has atoned for. And to me, that at those moments, even though they've been, they're painful moments, they're the moments that Jesus took me the deepest into what grace really is. Mm-hmm. If you've ever found yourself in a cycle of um, confession where you confess a sin and then you don't feel like it's forgiven, so you confess it again, and then you might start confessing that you've confessed so many times, that's what I'm talking about. It's yeah. a cycle of guilt, shame, guilt, shame, guilt, shame, and not living in what Jesus has actually really done and how he really sees you now. That's a trap. That's a demonic trap. And it actually doesn't lead to life that he wants for you. And it doesn't make anything better to do that. No, it actually hardens. It distances you from God in the sense that you're not receiving what he's already declared, which is crazy like what he gives us and this is where the incredible mystery of the gospel is just so profound and anybody who thinks in terms of well yeah yeah, i know jesus has forgiven me and you know he's gives me his righteousness like think about how insane that is that that even in the midst of your sin and whatever road that you've gotten on that that Jesus, if you are in Christ, he looks at you and says, like, you're righteous. I've already give, I've already done this for you. 
And I definitely, I would get into a cycle where I would repent, but then I would, I would like have this period of mourning and feel like I have to make it up. So sometimes I'd have feel like I had to make it up before I would repent, before I'd even talk to God. I've got to have like, you know, I've got to really behave well for the next, you know, two or three days and then I can go to him or I'd repent and then just kind of, but now I'm going to prove to you how sorry I really am. And that's just not the way it works. And to get to a place where you say, okay, yeah, I, I put myself on this road. Like my rebellion has been there and just to lay that out and, um, not make excuses for it to not justify it with other people's sin because here's the thing like these these three different roads are always a mixed bag right i mean it's, it's never just one no right? it's never just one like we have sin in all three of them um even even when you look at something that's a natural disaster or a you know a diagnosis that you'd say well that's nobody's fault well th- then my response in that is going to and other people's response in that so it's always a mixed bag but i think we all know what it feels like to be on a road where you're like, I did this, like I've made, and and then we don't feel worthy of God's love or we don't feel worthy of him healing or bringing restoration. And we basically just kind of sentence ourselves to a, a life of like, well, then I this is what I deserve. But what that actually does is it reveals self-righteousness. I mean, that's the irony of it is that in shaming yourself, you're actually revealing a, a self-righteous heart that you should be able to justify yourself, that you should be able to stand before God with your behavior and your track record. But once you realize that's not a thing, you can't ever do that, and that he offers grace, well, then no matter what road, no matter how deep that road is, you can actually, and you realize, man, I can turn, and it's it's dealt with right now. Like, I don't have to pay. Um, now there may be consequences that now there may be suffering ahead that I didn't, um, that, that is still to come, right? Like this happens with Paul and, and we'll talk about this next week in this conversion. But I mean, one of the things that Jesus says to him on the road to Damascus is, uh, you know, or when he says, um, when he tells Ananias to go and, and talk to Paul and says, I will show him how much he must suffer for my namesake. And that's not a penance thing. It's this is this is the road like you're on. Like you're you will be used for the glory of God, and it will it will think about all the things that it ends up producing in Paul, like joy and like we talked about last week, joy and peace and contentment. That's what he's gonna. But that's the road he is gonna walk. Imagine how Paul, how many times Paul felt like a hypocrite because he'd persecuted the church, and now he's an apostle. Like talk about imposter syndrome you know, that people have, but he had to depend on the grace of God. He had to say like, yeah, I know this is the road I'm on, but he's depending daily on the extravagant grace of God and, and trusting him for that. So I think that realizing, you know, repenting and receiving true repentance with true, like receiving of forgiveness and realizing that yes, there may be suffering ahead. That it may still be the consequences, but they are that suffering is going to produce character and endurance and and hope, and the and the fruit of the spirit in me. And it's not because we're not forgiven, right? That we didn't beat ourselves up enough. You know, it's actually to me one of the really neat side effects of the of the way God has us doing communion right now on Sundays, is that um, every single Sunday we worship together is an opportunity for each one of us to remember I'm coming up to this table, I'm participating in this supper, not because I'm good enough to do it, but right. because of him. And I don't know if, you know, if, if you've had that feeling where I'm really don't know if I should take it today because I've sinned or on the way here, I fought with my spouse or whatever it is, whatever the thing. I think that's a really important moment to push through and trust Jesus yeah. and take communion because it's the same sort of functional self-salvation justification that you just described earlier. And I think communion is a control environment where we get to practice that faith because there, there is that moment. I've had multiple people tell me that I didn't go up this week because of this thing. That's actually the moment we most need to go because we're, again, we're, we're saying with our actions and as we take the, the bread and the cup, 
this is only because of Jesus that I'm worthy to do this right now. It's only because of his work that I am his, that I belong to him. He has redeemed me. He's paid the full price. And in the act of taking communion is to say that to everyone. So you just mentioned this, that that is a common understanding of communion. And it comes from when Jesus is talking about, like, if you are holding something against your brother, first go to your brother and ask and be reconciled and then bring your gift to the altar. It's not talking about communion. Now, there are parallels there. I'm not saying that there's nothing relevant about that when he's when he's talking about that in the in the Sermon on the Mount. But we've that is definitely a thing that I think is just popular understanding that it got boiled down and said like, okay, and it's gotten reduced to the idea of like, well, if you have unrepentant sin, don't come forward for communion. Yeah, you're unworthy. And it's just the opposite. It is. I wish that people like by all means, if you are holding sin against your brother or your sister, like go and reconcile first and then go take communion. That's beautiful. I, I totally affirm that. But the very fact that you're even recognizing the sin should bring repentance. And if you get to a place where you're like, well, but I don't know if I'm repentant enough or I don't know if I like, well, it's kind of missing the point. And I would I would dare say that the enemy is winning that battle, convincing you that, well, no, you're not worthy to go up and take communion. And our response when that voice comes in and says that should be right. I'm not. But he but Christ is worthy. Like it's it's dependent on the worthiness of Jesus is how I'm able to come up and take communion, not on my own worthiness. Even when you think you're nailing it. I mean, if you ever I mean, think about the opposite of that. Imagine if somebody said, imagine if somebody said, man, I just went right up to the front of the line communion because I've been nailing it and I just know Jesus is so pleased with me. So I'm just going to be right up there. I mean, how horrifying that is. We would all look at that and go, oh, that's, that's not great. Okay. Well then why, why would we think the opposite extreme? Like, why would we think that that's better to say, you know, I haven't been good enough. And so I shouldn't go forward and take communion. So I hope if nothing else, people are hearing that and saying like, get that out of your head. Yep. It's like, very common though. And I, yeah. I, I have struggled with it. It's why I think Jay, when you were gone at seminary, I spontaneously said that when I was introducing communion that, you know, some of us have been taught the moment before you take communion is the moment where you need to examine your heart and look for any hint of sin in it. And if there is, you got a problem. And I do think that that's a good moment to say, sure. yeah, there's sin, but that's obvious. Examine yourself for faith. Am I going to trust in Jesus or not right now? And that doesn't mean that you and yourself feel strong. It means that you believe he is strong. He is dependable. He is a firm foundation. And if that's true, then go and take communion because then you're trusting in him and not your own muscles to, to make yourself okay. It's, it's just interesting to me, Jay, as you were describing earlier, that, that hard road of your own sin causing problems. Communion is an opportunity every week to do that, to exercise that faith muscle, to trust together with other people. And sometimes you need to rely on the person next to you to go up with. We're in this together. Right. You know, and today's a hard day. Well, let's still go. Let's go and let's pray together. Yeah. I, I just love that that's part of what we get to do together. I just can't imagine, I mean, what... What could you possibly say to God about, like, what does being worthy to take communion look like then? It means being Jesus, I think. That's what, that's, if you flesh it out, that's what we're assuming, but we're not him. And the fact that you'd ever think that you are that is like, I mean, then that would, that's, that's what we should really be thinking is if you think that you're unworthy to come forward and take communion, then you should ask the hard question of like, well, what would it look like for me to be worthy? And what, what is my heart looking like? I'd be more concerned about your heart on the days that you think you're worthy. That yep. would be more disconcerting to me. The than, more prideful you are, the more worthy you are. Right. Like that's what no. it ends up being. Like that's, that's so, it's nutty. But this is, this is how sinister the voice of the evil one is, is that it just sounds so, I mean, let's look at the garden and it just sounds so close. It's so close of like, and then and people will back that up by saying, well, there's, um, you know, but that's why we take sin seriously. I mean, yeah, okay. That's, yes. That's why Jesus went to the cross. Like, no one's going to take your sin more seriously than Jesus. And yet, he offers mercy and grace there. And so, 
Um, I think, I think you just, you know, that road. So if you are on that road, I would encourage you come forward, you know, for communion. It's one of the reasons why we need to be together. Um, I cannot even begin to describe how many times I've talked with people who have said, you know, I didn't feel worthy to come to church. I didn't feel worthy to go forward for communion. And they've taken each one of those steps. Um, and that's, that's why we need to physically be together. And so not just with communion, but just even coming to church. It's not about a building. It's not about some kind of religious ritual. It's about being together with God's family um, as, as you remember together the love of Christ you know, and, and his sacrifice for us. And to remember that you're, you're around the table with a bunch of other people who are in the same boat as you. And I just, I'm amazed at how successful the enemy is at convincing us that, well, when you are struggling, the last place you want to be is with God's family in any kind of road. So I don't know. When you say it that clearly too, you can tell how sinister it is. You can feel it when you say it bluntly and that's what's actually happening. But who hasn't been there? We're all, we've all felt that. And that's always a lie of the enemy. He's always separating like, Adam and Eve, you know, he doesn't tell Eve, oh, well, you should go clarify with God. Why don't you go talk to him and see and then make a decision for yourself? No, he separates. And it always grieves me to see when people don't realize that's what's happening. So so one thing, and and we don't have time really to go into the other ones, but um, I would just say, um, you know, all these roads and, and so if you find yourself like if you're on a road and you say, well, this is somebody else kind of did this to me, um, it that's it's still all the same things like the, there's uniqueness in that that you have to um, that you have to forgive like and, and kind of give that over to God. And we talk about that a lot, that forgiveness is not saying it's not a big deal. It's not you're not justifying them. You're not declaring them not guilty. You're not doing any of those things. Forgiving just means turning over to God and saying this, this God is the judge. God will bring justice and I can rest in that. I can trust him. And then you're allowed to, um, to find healing. And I think in all of those things, realizing that, um, in all of these hard roads, just know that the, the enemy is going to try to get you to isolate and to try to be away from God's people, to be away from God, to, like the enemy always wants to get you to isolate until he has done enough damage in your life that now he can use you as a weapon against others. I mean, that's essentially like he's evil it is the most heinous. He is the most like you think of human evil and it doesn't even compare to, you know, his evil. And, and so we buy into that. And I, I just want to encourage people like when you're on those hard roads, like step one is just, don't isolate yourself. Whatever the suffering is, if the suffering is a tragedy or an illness or if it's somebody else's fault or if it's your own stuff and you're feeling shame and guilt, don't let the enemy separate you from God and from God's people. Like just fight against that first step. So the first Sunday morning that you wake up and you're just like, I'm not, I can't go and be there. Like understand that is the voice of the evil one. And if you are going to listen to that, then you're going down a rough road and you're doing it in a way that God did not intend for you to, to go down. So, sorry, that was my little soapbox. Like, don't separate yourself. It's true, though. I mean, it's sin and brokenness and pain. Satan's end in that is always separation and hiding, you know, the shame. Like, you just think back to the garden. Yes. And what happened is they hide, they're separate, division. And from there he works. Yeah. And we think, we think that we're okay because we're like, well, no, but I can handle this in my own head. I can handle this on my own in the darkness. And it never works that way. That, that is where his voice, the evil one's voice is the strongest is when you are isolated. Um, if he can get you separated. I mean, it's, you think about how you watch all the nature channels of how, how do herd animals get hunted down? They get separated from the herd. Like that's the whole goal is to get like they'll do. And you see that sometimes with like lions or whatever, when they hunt, they're just trying to get the elephant away from the, if they can get the elephant separated from the rest of them, they can take down the elephant. 
you know, or the sheep or the gazelle or whatever the case is, um, you, that's the whole goal. And, and so we want to be really mindful of those, those tricks that the enemy plays because when you're isolated, then you can start, then you can start in on like, well, who, where is God? Why, why is God leaving you on this? Why doesn't anybody care? Why isn't the church calling you? Why isn't that like all these different lies that we hear from people all the time that just break our hearts of just saying like, yeah, but those are, that's the voice of the evil one. It's not the voice of God who's calling you to come back into the family and, and to be with, to be with one another so that you can be reminded that, yeah, we're all on hard roads, but isn't God good? We can hear the testimonies of our brothers and sisters and remember that he is good, that he is sovereign, that he is working, he is faithful. Amen to that. It's amazing how often we need to hear it too. I just Always. We forget all the time. All the time. Do you know, I mean, do you know how many times I have, there have been days, I'm sure you feel this way too. There are days I don't want to come to church. Like there are days where I don't want to come preach. I don't want to come, whether I'm preaching or not, that I don't, because the enemy is just like, if there's been discouragement or whatever, and it always ministers to my soul. And all of us have the situation where we're, where we've thought, I mean, most people I'm sure can relate to this. You get up on a Sunday morning and you think, I don't want to, I don't want to go be there with the church family, whatever reason, whatever the reason is, it could be apathy, could be suffering, could be frustration, could be anger or bitterness towards whatever. And then you show up. And you're with the, the people of God, worshiping God. And at the end of the day, you are so thankful that you came. Yeah, definitely. Like that's the, Even if it's just distraction that's keeping you from it, it's the same thing. Yeah. And yeah, nobody, nobody, well, I mean, this, nobody tells us that we, they regret it. <laughs> yeah. Sure wish I hadn't, sure wish I had slept in. Like you usually aren't going to feel that way. No. Uh, you're going to, you're going to be encouraged. And so, um, yeah, we want to, we want to encourage you to do that. And that's why we do this together. We ask that, um, let us know if you're on a hard road and, and maybe you hear that and you think, man, I am on a hard road and it's somebody else's fault. And I feel like you didn't really address that. Well, let us know, talk to us. Or if it's a mix or whatever the case is, you're just struggling on the road you're on. Know that you weren't meant to walk it alone. Like, first of all, you're not walking it alone because the spirit indwells in you. And so he is very much with you, but also God is kind and he could could have said like well I'm enough cuz he is enough but he also in the extravagance of of generosity gives us relationships and human um relationships that we're meant to be in community with we're meant to walk these roads with and so if you feel lost in that or you feel disconnected um and you you feel like man I have been getting isolated and I I see that then please let us know reach out to us you can email us you can call us you can talk to us on a sunday and we want to help you get connected we want to help you find that community that you are designed to have so that you aren't walking this road alone so love that jay yeah there's my there's my plea my exhortation my plea so um well man i hope uh jeff i hope you have a great thanksgiving you too jay and i hope everybody else does unless you're listening to this after thanksgiving and i hope it was great but either way until next time grace and peace Bye.